do you want to know the $1 million process? In the next 20 minutes, I will be unlocking that. Subrace Education, KaisaFit, these, these are businesses I've grown. Almost always the big product market fit opportunity that we have uncovered came after a major failure point where we were proven wrong about our assumptions around what the audience was interested in. This is Craig Swanson. If, a, if an online education program is not generating money as it goes, if, if the idea is that we're going to invest you know, a whole bunch of money into, the, into this program before we start to see any traction, probably it means we're headed in the wrong direction. Craig, Thrives being the secret weapon, partnering with online businesses. He has partnered with many companies and turned them into a multi-million dollar mark. Some of them even got acquired. Now, Craig partners with creators, educators, influencers by providing the missing piece that they need to get to the next stage. And that is $1 million business, one step at a time. Remember, $1 million. Let's cover that. If you want to delight your customers with effortless customer service, you can use Freshdesk. The link for using Freshdesk is in this podcast episode description. So whenever you get some time, please click on the link and start using Freshdesk. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Craig to the show. Hi, Craig. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me on. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah my pleasure to have you here. Craig, why don't we touch first? What is a Creative Live? So Creative Live is an online learning platform that um, I launched in 2010 um, with, with a partner, Chase Jarvis. The idea with Creative Live, and this was in the early days of live streaming videos on the internet, we would have famous instructors come in and teach very deep uh, weekend long courses on photography or other topics like that. And the entire experience would be broadcast live for the world. And thousands, hundreds, uh, tens of thousands of people would watch an individual course kind of exploded onto the market. So in 2010, we launched 2012, we had taken our first round of funding and we just basically grew up, exploded into millions of customers, millions of people watching from around the world. And that was my first really big company that I built that, uh, kind of like laid the groundwork for a lot of things I'm doing today. Craig, what do you think, like, what was the secret ingredient, how you grew from no user to millions of users? What was the reason? Was that the right fit in the market, right timing? Well, it was, it was a combination of the right fit in the market and the right timing. Uh, so this was in 2010. This was just after we had had a fairly strong economic downturn. There were a lot of people that were unemployed at that point. So there, there was a lot of people looking to learn new skills and learning to come back into the market. And when we came on and were offering anybody around the world access to these really large, deep courses for free, if they could just watch in real time, that, that created a huge opportunity for people to be able to get access to things that they wouldn't normally be able to get access to. So that just exploded. Um, and in terms of how we went from zero users to, to hundreds of thousands, um, we really got lucky with the first three instructors that we had. Each of the first three instructors were huge names. They had huge um, hundred thousand person audiences on Twitter or or Instagram at the time. And um, those people brought their audience to us for those events. Um, mm -hmm. And then after we had the first three instructors, 
um, a lot of the audience stayed, grew with Creative Live, and um, within two years, um, Creative Live had started off with zero audience mm -hmm. and then had grown to have a huge audience because we had basically had so many really big names on that that our instructors had contributed their audience to us. You might have used some strategy and you're, as far as I know, like you are still doing or scaling the businesses from six figures or maybe in some cases less than that to $1 million mm -hmm. plus. So is there any strategy, any process that you follow? So for me, so I, I exist kind of in this sweet spot where I partner with in, with influencers that have really large audiences already. And what they are needing is the, the business partner or the platform that they can basically take their audience to and, and share skills that they have. So I am usually partnering with influencers that have over 250,000 followers on some platform, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, something. Mm. Um, they have sold some amount of digital goods in the past. So in the last three years, maybe they have sold somewhere in the range of about a hundred thousand dollars of digital goods. So, so they have a large audience. They have a, they have a little bit of social proof that their audience is interested in something that they have to sell, but they are missing a critical piece in terms of turning that into something big. Um, sometimes that missing piece can be technical skill. Sometimes it's video production skill. A lot of times it is business, um, business savvy and business awareness. And so what I come in with the right partner, I basically come in with someone that's already created a community and an audience and help them turn that into a business that can really scale. Okay. Because I was about to ask you, like when you initially covered people who are already having some following like 250,000 or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, like I was about to ask you about this, that sweet spot, like why mm -hmm. you particularly picked this number or maybe this niche or this area, this size, like you might have seen success with other creators of this size. Mm -hmm. Is that the reason? That's, I mean, that's, that's really my sweet spot. That's where I have done most of my building. Mm -hmm. Um, different people work at different levels. So yeah. I, my magic I don't really know how to go from zero to one. If somebody has no audience, I don't really, my expertise is not in how you build an audience from zero. Mm -hmm. But when someone has some, some momentum with a significant audience, I know how to build systems that create a tremendous amount of social proof that have people communicating with each other. And I can help, help them basically 10 X their business in ways that, um, that a lot of people that a lot of people don't know how to. It, it it's just my sweet spot. I know how to mm. take something that has momentum with that large type of community and create systems that really um, grow the community and grow the business. Got it. And Craig, what do you think? Like, how much groundwork is needed in order to reach that one million dollar level, or maybe that scaled business? If you want to see, if you want to use that tag, what is that journey? How that journey looks like if someone wants to reach that. $1 million plus level, how much groundwork is needed? So I would say the, the, so I generally have people go through three stages. There's only three stages that I work with. Um, and the first is a proof of concept stage. So the, the first stage, I am trying to find a product that their audience wants to buy without much, without much 
work. So generally what we're looking for is we're looking to sell something to their existing audience. We're generally working with content or existing material that they have taught before or that they've led before. And what we're doing is we are basically creating an online platform and and offering it to their audience and seeing if people are going to buy. And that's just to prove out the concept that people are interested in what they have to, to offer. We're not interested in if we can do it profitably. We're not really interested in, in maximizing that opportunity. The first step is to just see if there is a, a part of their community that is just really primed to purchase something from them without much work. Because really what we're looking for is we're looking for product market fit. We're looking for something that the audience is really hungry for, that there's a, that, that rather than us trying to push a product that, that we want the audience to take, we're trying to find the thing that the audience really wants to get from us. Mm-hmm. If we find that, then the next phase we go into is something I call incubator stage, which is that's the time where we are trying to take something that we've been, that we've proven that we can sell to people and see how how many new customers we can acquire profitably. And the goal at that stage, that is basically where we are trying to create a, a marketing strategy where we can spend, say we can spend $10 on marketing, whether it be Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, whatever it is, and have that $10 of marketing generate, say, $14 to $19 in sales on, on, to a cold audience. And I'm just using those, those numbers as an example, because mm-hmm. if we can put money into a marketing system that generates money in real time in sales to cold audience, then we can scale pretty much until we tap out that audience. So what I'm looking for at that next stage is, can we... Can we spend $10,000 a day? Can we spend $20,000 a day? What I'm looking for is I'm looking for a combination of a product and an audience and and just the way we're taking it to market with the marketing that aspirationally we can be spending a million dollars a year on advertising mm-hmm. and generating a huge list of new potential of new customers and at the same time making money, say, say invest a million dollars in advertising and at the end of that, have you know one point six million dollars in revenue and a hundred thousand a hundred thousand new customers that we can sell other products to, and that is really kind of in a nutshell the strategy I've used over and over again. So, Craig, if just in case, if mm-hmm. the creator mm-hmm. has five hundred thousand subscribers or followers, mm-hmm. uh, and they try to sell something, uh, mm-hmm. they push it out into the market and only few people grab that product or bought that mm-hmm. product. But now like it comes to the validation point. Now ratio is really small. Um, mm-hmm. Number of subscribers are large, number of buyers are less. So what do you think like then if that has failed, so you're gonna start something from scratch in terms of finding out that niche, that idea, that people will be willing to buy? Is there any process that you use in order to find out that that lucrative idea? I'm, what I'm really trying to do is I'm trying to pattern match around something that is working. If, if nothing's working, 
um, if nothing's working, I, pro I probably didn't start the process. So usually I'm looking for, before I come into this, I'm looking for some examples of things that are starting to work. Um, so what's very commonly the situation is I'll be working with a creator. They've had two or three products that they have sold previously. They've had mediocre success, but they've had some success. Mm -hmm. um, and then there are two things, there are two processes we'll go through. One is we will do this proof of concept test with multiple products and see which ones work the best. Um, and more importantly, we will survey the audience with a really open-ended, with an open-ended series of questions where, we're, where we are not trying to guide them, but we're trying to basically ask them in really broad terms, what led you to follow this creator or purchase from this creator? Um, in, in as many, in whatever words they want to put. So whatever, whatever, however they answer that question, um, we are interested to hear what words they use. And then effectively the second question is, did they get what they were hoping for? Yes or no, did they get what they were hoping for? And if they got what they were hoping for, what was it? And that's very open and broad. Mm -hmm. But when we have a large enough audience of people and and they have they're, they are bonded with a creator and they've created an audience, the answers to those questions basically drive a lot of the steps in terms of creating the products that they are interested in seeing. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Got it. That survey is going to give you like that additional layer of information that might not, mm -hmm. that might be missing, like in terms of purchase, someone is yeah. purchasing, like they might not be happy or happy up to some level, things like that. Yeah. And really what we're trying to do is we're trying to narrow in on the people who are happy mm. um, because we're trying to pattern after success. And so, I don't overly concern myself with people who have, uh, who are not purchasing or who, or who are not interested in what this creator is creating. I'm really interested in the true fans, the people that have really, that really believe in something and um, that we can look for more people like that. This leads to scaling the business as well. Like mm -hmm. you're talking about taking it from nowhere to somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, like scaled or scaling businesses have different meanings, like based on the type mm -hmm. of business, not all the businesses can run on their own, but I know for a fact, like course, courses that you're selling on online mm -hmm. can yeah. be run in a flight mode. Is there a process? Like, is there a delegation phase? Uh, in, in general, in the early days, in the early days, I tend to run with a very lean team. There's usually just two or three of us. And, um, we are very much trying to figure out what is working. We're listening to the audience. We're trying to figure out what works. Once we have that combination of a product and a marketing message and a way of taking it to market that, that can scale where we can start spending a lot of money on advertising and we start getting a lot of sales. That's when we start to build out a, a marketing team that can basically focus on growth for that team long-term. So the, what I think most companies do, um, I, 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 a lot of companies tend to swell instead of scaling. You'll have somebody that starts one idea and then they go look on the next idea and they, they just iterate through a whole bunch of small things. And none of those things really create any type of traction or opportunity to grow. Um, the one thing that we're basically really looking for is we're looking for what one or maybe two, but one, what one or two core things can we push a lot of energy into that can really scale because we don't we don't want to have more than one product until we have at least broken that million dollar a year mark and i think that's one of the things that a lot of 
a lot of other businesses do is they try to be all things to all people and they try to have a whole plethora of products and offerings at the early stage. And I'm a huge believer that if we can't find effectively one core product that can get us above a million dollars a year, we're probably not in a place yet that we can honestly look at scaling and putting in aggressive growth behind it. Basically, like this is your niche. This is your area. You figured yeah. it out now. Build on top of it. Maybe you can add layers, exactly. add-ons, upsells, cross-sells. Yeah. Exactly. And by the way, I also think you were really, you were really astute to say that um, that you can potentially do this in courses, in in a way that you might not be able to in other industries. Um, the one thing about selling online education is that when an online education program is working it will generate money as it goes. If we, if, a, if an online education program is not generating money as it goes, if, if the idea is that we're going to invest, you know, a whole bunch of money into, the, into this program before we start to see any traction, probably it means we're headed in the wrong direction. Because when you are providing something that an audience is really excited about, you'll find out in sales really early. It's not like some other business concepts where you have to run, um, you have to run at a loss for years or, um, or have to invest a tremendous amount of capital expense to be able to get something that you can take to market with online education. It is a relatively inexpensive process if done correctly and doesn't need a lot of money to prime the pump. Mm -hmm. It's not like tech business. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we discussed a recipe for building success, uh, mm -hmm. but the failure is also inevitable, as you said. Not, not every time we're gonna hit the mark. How do you see failure? How do you see things going like in the negative direction? I mean, honestly, I think failure is the most important piece of feedback we can get from the market. I am a little bit of mixed minds. I'm a mixed minds for entrepreneurs. I, I do believe that there are entrepreneurs that are are shooting for something so big and believe in it so strongly that they can live in market failure for years and not lose their belief. And sometimes that works out to an extraordinary result. But most smaller entrepreneurs or, or less lucky entrepreneurs, I think if you, are, if you are not listening to a market when the market is telling you they're not interested in what you want, uh, in, in what you're providing, continuing to push what you think the market needs as opposed to asking the market and saying if we can surface out what the market is really responding to is probably a losing proposition. Um, so for me, I assume that only one out of five of our product experiments, of our proof of concepts are going to work in a way that can go to the next, to the next level. And so the biggest way that I approach failure is I embrace it and try to find when there is a failure and try to learn from that and not pursue it be beyond the point that I've been educated on it. Okay, nice. So you're not mm -hmm. going into the unknown territory. You're not going to start something new and like learn the whole process. You're going to stop what you don't know or where exactly. you don't know. And also, it also means I am not going to be testing everything at the same time. Um, it usually means I'm going to be, be launching smaller iterations of what I believe the market is interested in and test the market's response at each stage. Um, a lot of, a lot of creators 
believe that they need to only go to market with something that is perfect that represents everything that that they put into this work so they will they will they'll put an inappropriate amount of work into creating a a product or a creation um before they get a chance for the market to tell them whether the market's interested um i had i have i have one uh I have one friend that uh, that I met through a business organization that has created a really extraordinary training course for a professional market niche in in the video production industry, um, and has probably spent a year developing this, and has never once taken this to market. Has never gotten any feedback from anyone as to whether they're interested in it. He is following his own belief around this, and to some degree, it almost feels like he's avoiding taking it to market because. Um, he doesn't want to be proven wrong. And as long as he doesn't actually finish the project, he never has to know whether it's successful or not. Hmm. Um, I, my approach tends to be to get to market within six weeks of an initial concept so that we can start our learning cycles early. Um, and, you know, you were asking about failure. Mm-hmm. Almost every, when I think about the creative live, when I think back to, um, Subrace Education, Kaisafit, these, these are businesses I've grown. Almost always the big product market fit opportunity that we have uncovered came after a major failure point where we were proven wrong about our assumptions around what the audience was interested in. Where mm-hmm. we came in and put a lot of work believing that people would love this thing that we were building. And it wasn't until we were proven wrong and accepted that we were proven wrong, that we actually turned around, used that learning to create the thing that would really fit with the market. Interesting way to see other things. Like, and you also mentioned like one name, Kaiser Fitness, mm-hmm. or Kaiser Fits. Uh, you yeah. you mm-hmm. held them to scale like one one million dollar plus. Where mm-hmm. are they now? Like, how are they performing? Still growing. Uh, still growing. So, um, so Kaiser Fit is a is a company I started with a partner in two thousand and nineteen. Hmm. Um, and we are creating online fitness education for people to do at home. We, <laughs> we were one of the companies that was extremely benefited by the pandemic. Uh, um, when, when everybody was locked into their houses at home and could not go outside companies that had an online fitness opportunity did really well. So the, the online fitness industry kind of exploded in 2020. Hmm. So we, yeah, we went from zero to about $4 million in one year um, with KaiserFit. That that huge explosion mm-hmm. was followed by a considerable drop as there was a big glut in the industry and you saw big companies like Peloton overbuilt. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, what we did is we transitioned at the height of that from a one from a one-time purchase product to a subscription model. Um, and we've been building up a recurring revenue business model since 2000, since early 2021. Um, and that has been a much slower process, but um, um, we are just about to cross a million dollars in recurring revenue uh, from the subscription product, um, which is, which feels like a huge um, accomplishment. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Like it's a huge accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Like congrats mm-hmm. for that. Like basically mm-hmm. you pivoted from a point like when you saw like things are not moving in your direction. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. So a- anything, anything as a learning lesson that you, that you 
picked from there because I think the timing was again right this time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. the The timing was absolutely the timing was absolutely right. But um, but along the way, the one thing that that there was this constant learning. We were we we believed that we wanted to serve the high end market. So we were focused on very 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 fit people people who would do very very um difficult workouts at home that would really really um explore the maximum of what was possible and we thought that's where our opportunity was mm -hmm. and as much as we believe that those courses never really never really took off and every time we focused on simpler programs for people that were newer to fitness or were recovering from pain those were the courses that exploded, even those, even though those were not necessarily the courses that we were as attracted to ourselves. And um, it took, it took, I I would say it took a number of failed or or underperforming uh, high end courses before we really started to accept that the thing that we were originally wanting to build was not necessarily finding as much of a fit as when we stepped our vision down to people a little bit younger. And newer in their fitness journey, Craig. What was the reason for this idea? Like, was that COVID that gave you this idea? Like, people are now going to be at home, or you were already preparing for it because you might have spent some time to create the courses. So I'm just curious enough yeah. to find out like how you came to the conclu conclusion. Like, this is now the trend, or this is going to be the trend now. I mean, a part of it, we were lucky. Uh, we were we were building it in 19, we were building it in 2019, so before the pandemic. But yeah, uh, so part of it is we are lucky. Um, the timing was right. It was also based around what we wanted to build. Um, I will say that the big thing that we thought was important, we thought the quality of the filmmaking was was a very, very high priority. And so we, we started in 2019 spending... Uh, tens, twenties of thousands of dollars for each program for the filming. And then when, when the pandemic hit, we ended up having to do much lower end production because, because our crews were not available. People couldn't travel. That was another thing that we, we found that we were wrong about was that the quality of the production, while it was important to us, didn't appear to be as important to the audience as the quality of the instruction or the fit for for what that was meeting in their lives the they were less aware of the quality of the camera work or the video production than they were of other things which were much cheaper to produce it might be the reason like it was more realistic people can relate to it if it is yeah. like polished version like it's you don't you don't feel that connection in some some places like it feels like you're doing the workout with someone who is in like similar kind of environment not sitting in a fancy place right sometimes exactly. that, that that can be the reason too Exactly. And and this is also a really recurring theme when I'm when I'm partnering with content producers. A lot of time the things that content that that, that content producers with a really large audience, the thing that they are attracted to in some ways serves their ego. Um but their ego may not be what is serving their audience. So sometimes we have to decide who who is the most important person that we're serving here. Are we serving the needs of the audience are we serving the needs of us the people that are going to be creating the content don't go with what you believe in like see mm -hmm. like what people are telling you and how you can relate in a better way yeah i've seen um fast hits or you can say that immediate hits 
with few videos people are getting like 1 million subscribers 500,000 500,000 subscribers so it's not basically giving the right indication if you want to turn them into fans you have to yeah. listen to them understand like what they're trying to tell you exactly any final thoughts craig before we wrap up finally like any final thoughts that you would like to share with the founder the person who is listening to this episode right now no i mean the only thing i would say is just to reiterate what you just said i think you ha i think every founder has to start with their thesis i think they have to start with their belief and they have to build for their belief because they have no they have no information except what they believe but we as founders have to be willing to jettison our beliefs when we are told by the market what what people are actually responding to and i think too many founders um don't listen to the people they want to build their their company for and instead try to pretend everybody is thinking the way they wish they were thinking mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the best way to find it out is via via interaction like if you're selling the product maybe a service if you're creating the content maybe reading the comments asking people like getting the feedback isn't it getting getting the feedback from me putting up putting a a really aggressive guarantee so that people are not paying for something that they don't value so rather than protecting my revenue i am i am trying to increase my learning so i'm willing to let people use a guarantee so that i understand what they liked or didn't like and really spending a lot of time listening to the comments and serving people to hear what they what they respond to and what is created yeah beautifully said i agree mm -hmm. Where can we learn more about you and your business, Craig, if someone wants to get in touch? The best place to get, so the best place to reach me in general is on my LinkedIn profile. Um, but you can get to me and all my hubs at craigswanson.org. That's my name, .org, not .com. Okay, .org is the way to go. Thank you so yeah. much, Craig, for coming to the show. Thanks all right. a lot. Thank you. Thank you for having me.